Good morning. Good morning, brethren and sisters. The uh, work that we have considered, as our presiding brother mentioned this morning, we are entering into the midpoint of our study this week. Between today and tomorrow, we are in the middle of our classes. You will notice that in the material that we have considered thus far in the work of the Messiah, it has had a much greater application to Israel, natural Israel, than it has had to both natural and spiritual Israel. Our first discussion centered around to finish the transgression which was directly applied to Israel. Our second part was to make an end of sins, which, as we showed yesterday, had to deal with the law of Moses as it outlines sin and the requirements for sin offering. Today, we will start a review of the third aspect of the work of the Messiah, namely, to make reconciliation for iniquity. To make reconciliation for iniquity. Now, at this point in the work of the Messiah, we are going to see a broadening of his work, a greater application of his work than just to Israel alone. And as we did the last two days, I have reviewed six translations in order to give as much of a background to our consideration. The authorized version reads, and this is taken from the 24th verse of the ninth chapter of Daniel, the authorized version reads, to make reconciliation for iniquity. The revised version reads exactly the same. The Septuagint reads, to blot out iniquities. Young's literal translation reads, to cover iniquity. To that's Young's. Young's literal translation reads, to cover iniquity. The Masoretic text, which is a Hebrew translation, reads, to forgive iniquity. Rotherham's translation reads, to make a propitiatory covering over iniquity. And the Septuagint gives us an additional rendering to make atonement for iniquity. Now, did I go too fast? Would you like me to repeat? To make a propitiatory, now that's a big, that's a 50 cent word. It's P-R-O-P-I-T-I-A-T-O-R-Y, a propitiatory covering over iniquity. 
I had to look it up myself, so. <laughs> yes, I'll repeat them, go over them, and you can check them. The, your, the authorized version you have in your Bibles, the revised reads exactly the same, to make reconciliation for iniquity. The Septuagint, the first one in the Septuagint means to blot out iniquity. Young's, to cover iniquity. The Masoretic text, to forgive iniquity. The Rotherham's translation, to make a propitiatory covering over iniquity. And the second Septuagint rendering, to make atonement for iniquities. As we had with the others, there are several words here which are of extreme importance. In the authorized and revised, we have the word reconciliation. Reconciliation in the original Hebrew is spelled kapar, K-A-P-H-A-R, and it means to cover or to make atonement. To cover or to make atonement. Now, atonement is not used as a word in any one of these translations here. But the meaning of atonement and the original Hebrew word is kaphar, K-A-P-H-A-R. In other words, the translators translated the original word one time into reconciliation and another time into atonement. And atonement means to cover. K-A-P-H-A-R. K-A-P-H-A-R. Kafar is, is the way I would pronounce it. I could be wrong on that. The next word which appears in every one of the translation is iniquity. The original Hebrew word is avon, A-V-O-N, avon. And it means, and this was surprising to me, it means preversity. Preversity. That's what it means. P-E-R-V-E-R-S-I-T-Y. -E -E That's the way I had to look it up in the dictionary. Perversity. Perversity. I, I said it wrong. It's, yeah. My error this time. Now there is another word which is brought into the picture by Rotherhams. He uses it as a propitiatory. Now, I have looked up that propitiatory is not a Bible word in the concordance. Propitiation is. Propitiation means hilasterion. That is, that's the original. It's spelled H-I-L-A-S-T-E-R-I-O-N. And incidentally, the original word is not Hebrew, but Greek. This is a New Testament word. This is not a Hebrew word. H-I-L-A-S-T-E-R-I-O-N. And it means it is used in one place 
Romans 3 and verse 25, and it means the place of propitiation. Now that is, doesn't help us very much because they, have, they haven't found in the translation another word to describe it. So they, the, it means in the concordance, the place of propitiation. Now, propitiation is used in another sense, and it is derived from another Greek word, and that is hilasimus, H-I-L-A-S-M-O-S. And that word is used in the same verse in Romans. It means that which propitiates a propitiatory sacrifice. It's really, really, uh, this, this is, uh, is quite interesting as we begin to develop it. Now, I have one more, and this will surprise you, and this is the reason I said yesterday we will skip verse 5, the mercy seat. The mercy seat is a translation of the same word as propitiation. H-I-L-A-S-T-E-R-I-O-N, Hilasterion. It means exactly the same place, same thing, exactly the same meaning, a place of propitiation, and it is found in one place in the New Testament, Hebrews 9 and 5, which was the verse we skipped yesterday. So propitiation and mercy seat are the translator's terms for the original Greek, uh, Greek word. Now, did I cover, go over these too rapidly, or would you like me to repeat certain of these? I didn't, I'm sorry, uh, Joy. Propitiate. Propitiate is P-R-O-P-I-T-I-A-T-I-O-N, propitiation. Well, I, I've had to look this up several times myself. In other words, it's a big word. Well, now I'd like you to turn for the first, our first reading is Romans 3. And verse 25. Romans 3, verse 25. I'm going to read, begin at verse 21 to get the connection of the thought. Romans 3, verse 21 through 25. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. You recall that we said that righteousness means God's right ways. And we have here the Apostle Paul telling us that God's right ways are manifested without the law, but are witnessed to by the law and the prophets. Now that would seem a contradictory statement. What we are talking about now is the Propitiation has a meaning which carries you beyond the scope of the law, 
but which the law was given as a pattern of the things to come. It is given to show, as Paul said, therefore we conclude in the first chapter of Romans, I believe it is, that all men are under sin. Everyone, all the world is under sin. But the law was a witness to it, and the prophets were also a witness to this fact. Paul continues, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe. There is no difference. You see it? There is no difference between, as we would say, Jew and Gentile, or between those that were under the law and those that were without the law. For all have sinned, not just the Jews, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Now, whom God set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness, to declare his righteousness by the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. Now, this is one of those verses in the New Testament which Paul relates, which cover a large phase of the work of the Messiah. Jesus Christ was set forth to be a propitiation, a, or in meaning, to be the place of propitiation, and the law testified that the mercy seat with the two cherubims covered the ark. In the Greek, the place of propitiation and the mercy seat are the same place. You see now how the law witnessed to this work of Jesus. You will also see that it was to declare God's right ways, that this was made, this way was made, and it was through the forbearance of God that this was brought about to take away, our reading says, remission, the margin says, to pass over, pass over passing over sins being done aforetime. Now, you will recall that there is a, a passage in the scripture I believe it's in Hebrews, we'll have to check it, where we have all sinned and come short who have not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, for death was in the world from Adam to Moses, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. And I may have misquoted this just a little bit, we will come to it. So this is the first place in the New Testament where we are introduced to the word propitiation or the original Greek hilasterion, which means the place of propitiation. Now it seems clearer, at least to me, what the significance of the mercy seat was. What did you say was the mercy seat and what other signs? And what other? The place of propitiation. 
The same Greek word is translated mercy seat and propitiation. So it clears up, in my mind at least, the significance of the mercy seat. Now let's look at the next passage. In Hebrews 9 and 5, which we read yesterday, but which we passed over. Hebrews 9 and 5. Let's read verse 4 for the connection of our thoughts. Verse 4 in chapter 9 of Hebrews. Which had the golden censer? The ark of the covenant overlaid round about with gold, wherein was the golden pot that had manna, Aaron's rod that budded, and the tables of the covenant. This is what was in the most holy place. Then he said, uh, the writer of the Hebrew says, And over it the cherubims of glory, shadowing the mercy seat, but the original is the place of propitiation, shadowing that. And he says, of which we cannot now speak particularly. That's why we left it out yesterday, because it has an application to make reconciliation for iniquity. Now I would like to call your attention. I had often wondered when I was younger in the truth why it spoke of, of transgression, and why it spoke of sin, and why it spoke of iniquity. Why it seemed to me in my thinking that we're talking about all the same thing. Well, with study, and experience why we learn and we are not talking about the same thing we're not talking about the same thing when the law is taken out of the way and I'm speaking the law of Moses when that was taken out of the way why sin defined under the law came to an end the sin offerings that were required to, to cover that sin under the law they were also taken out of the way you remember yesterday that I made made uh, uh, a statement. I said that Christ, this was taken from Romans 10, verse 4, that it says there that Christ is the end of the law. Christ is also the end of the sins contained in the law. He was also the end of the sin's offerings required under the law. But iniquity has a much broader application and it means a little different. It has a different meaning in the original than what either sin or transgression had. Now I have a note here that I'm going to read regarding this, which has been taken from students of the of the Bible and it says in this is in relation to the word propitiation the literal propitiation or sacrifice through his blood the Greek word is hilasterion the place of propitiation which I have related the word occurs in 1st John 2 verses 2 to 4 as the translation of hilasimus which I also called your attention to, which translated is that which propitiates. 
a propitiatory sacrifice. Hilasterion is used in the Septuagint and in Hebrews 9 and 5 for the mercy seat. The mercy seat was sprinkled with the atoning blood on the Day of Atonement, Leviticus 16 and 14. In token of that righteous sentence of the law, that the righteous sentence of the law had been typically carried out. How? By the shedding of the blood, an atonement was made for sin. So that what, this is his, uh, his view, his thought, so that what, what must else have been a judgment seat could righteously be called a mercy seat. The judgment was carried out in type by sprinkling the mercy seat with blood, showing that God's right ways required the shedding of blood to take away sin. That is judgment. That's the Almighty's right ways. He cannot look upon sin, or let's put it another way, he cannot tolerate sin. But in his great love and mercy, the judgment seat sprinkled with blood becomes the mercy seat. We can see the great significance in the law of Moses, when we look into these things and see the application of God's beautiful way of providing for erring mortals. Now, our next passage is in Leviticus 17. Leviticus 17, verse 11. And this is a most important verse. This is Moses speaking to all who will listen throughout the ages. Leviticus 17, verse 11. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that maketh an atonement for the soul. In another place, without the shedding of blood, I believe that is in Hebrew 10 verse 4, without the shedding of blood there is no remission of sin. Hebrews 9, well, it's, I have a Hebrew 10 and 4 we're going to look at too. So you can see that the Old Testament and the New Testament agree that there must be blood shed to take away transgression, to take away sin, to cover iniquity. It is a must. And Hebrew 10 and 4 is the next one, which we'll turn over. Hebrews 10 and verse 4. 
For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sin. It is not possible. That is why, brethren and sisters, the law of Moses came to an end. It was given for a period, a period of time, to show what was required and in what way God's right ways would take away forever sin. It was not through the blood of bulls and goats. Also, 1 John 2. First John 2, verse 2. We'll read verse 1 for connection of thought. My little children, these things write I unto you, that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the propitiation, the place of propitiation. Oh, use another word there for propitiation. He is the mercy seat. Well, the the word here is propitiation in the in the scriptures. All right. Read this verse again and put the All right. meaning to it. I like to hear that one. All right, I'll read it. This is the authorized version, just exactly as it is given. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only. Note not for ours only, that's the Jews only, but for the sins of the whole world. Gentiles, Gentiles too. Now, just one, let me read this now. And he is the mercy seat for our sins, and not for ours only, but for also for the sins of the whole world. Yes. That is true. He's st- that is. St- yes, you can. Yes. All right. I didn't. I have the revised at home, but I didn't have the revised with me. I'm glad you brought that. I some. You had a question. Uh, well, uh, in any pl- in any case, uh, his blood does more than cover. Christ's blood. See the law of Moses. The reason I offer this thought. The law of Moses covered sins, but that wasn't enough. Sin must be taken away. And as uh, you will recall in Hebrews 10 and 4, that it was not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. They could cover it, but they couldn't take it away. There is a difference there between covering and taking away. Now we are coming to the point where it must be taken away. It requires a taking away. He is the mercy seat. Now I'm going to give you another uh, thought for that. Mercy seat in the Hebrew means kaf poroth, K-A-P, P-O-R-E-T-H. That's the Hebrew word. Yes, K-A-P. P-O-R, 
E-T-H. That is Hebrew, because the mercy seat is used in, is used in the Hebrew uh, scriptures. And it means, and this comes back to your thought, uh, sister, it's the place of covering. It's the place of covering sin. So the Old Testament and the New Testament are in complete agreement. That's right. That's right. They were just covered. The sins of Israel under the Mosaic dispensation, they were remembered every year. Yes. Not at this time. Now, maybe uh, you'll have to look at the tape now. Maybe I said it and I don't remember. Oh, under the Passover, yes. It was there as a sign. Now I know this, uh, the point that you have. The blood was on the doorpost and the lintel and the two side doorposts of the door as a sign of belief, one belief, and second, obedience. And by seeing that, that sign, the, the destroying angel passed over the houses of Israel, the houses of Israel in Egypt, and the destroying angel did not enter in and slay the firstborn. That, uh, now we're talking about mercy seat. Uh, we won't have time to read half of the trans of the references that I have here for you. But let's turn, the first one is Exodus 25. Exodus 25. So these you will have to read as part of your homework. Exodus 25, verses 17 to 22. And thou shalt make a mercy seat of pure gold. Two cubits and a half shall be the length thereof, and a cubit and a half the breadth thereof. And thou shalt make two cherubims of gold. Of beaten work shalt thou make them in the two ends of the mercy seat. And make one cherub on the one end, and the other cherub on the other end. Even of the mercy seat shall ye make them on the two ends thereof. And the cherubim shall stretch forth their wings on high, covering the mercy seat with their wings. And their faces shall look one to, the, to another. Toward the mercy seat shall the faces of the cherubims be. And thou shalt put the mercy seat above upon the ark. And in the ark thou shalt put the testimony that I shall give thee. And there I will meet with thee, and I will commune with thee from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubims, which are upon the ark of the testimony, of all things which I will give thee in commandment unto the children of Israel. Now we begin to see the great importance of the mercy seat. And in another passage which I have here, the cherubims and the mercy seat were made of one piece of gold. One piece of gold. They were not, as the ark was, gold overlaying shittim wood. 
They were not. It was one piece of pure gold beaten out and formed to, to give the mercy seat and the two cherubims. And the two cherubims were at each end of the mercy seat with their wings outspread and their heads bowed looking toward the mercy seat. This was the place that the mosaic types and shadows looked forward to when immortality was to be given. It was the place where God's righteousness, God's right ways was complete. And God's right ways were not manifested to man until he came of whom was the burden of all the law and the prophets, Jesus Christ. There was no sin in Jesus Christ as far as personal sin was concerned. He came of Adam's race. He came to make a sacrifice to make reconciliation for iniquity, to offer the blood of a much greater importance that would take away sins, whereas the blood of bulls and goats could not. Now I'm going to give you a number of references. We will read some of them. The next one I'd like to look at is uh, chapter 26. This is in Exodus still. We'll be in Exodus for quite a while. Chapter 26, verse 34. And thou shalt put the mercy seat upon the ark of the testimony in the most holy place. In the most holy place. That was Exodus 26, verse 34. The next one is Exodus 30, verse 6. And thou shalt put it, this is the ark, before the veil that is by the ark of the testimony. He's speaking here of the, of the uh, altar of burnt incense. The altar of burnt incense it's just as though this was the most holy place and in front of it stood a veil, a very typical veil. Just in front of this veil, in the holy place, was the altar of incense. And so Moses is commanded, Thou shalt put it before the veil that is by the ark of the testimony before the mercy seat. Before, before the ark of the testimony, before the mercy seat, that is over the testimony, where I will meet with thee. And Aaron shall burn thereon sweet incense every morning. When he dresseth the lamps, he shall burn incense upon it. You know, in our natural lives, we all take our rest at night. How fitting that the first thing 
we should do. Put first things first. Aaron was to burn incense the first thing in the morning. And you all know what incense is typical of. Start the day right. Verse chapter 31, verse 7. And that is, you can read that at your leisure. That is just showing the position of the, of the mercy seat and the Ark of the Covenant. Verse 35, verse 12. 35 and 12. This, these are all places to show where the Hebrew word for mercy seat is used. These are all passages. That is also, you read that at your leisure. Yes? Yes. That's Moses, Moses, you recall that when the tabernacle was set up, it was all completed and set up in its place. Everything was set in its place that the glory of the Lord in the cloud filled the whole tabernacle. And the testimony is that Moses could not enter into it. Moses, there was only the high priest was to enter in. Moses, uh, I offer this for your further consideration. Moses was not appointed the high priest. Moses stood to the children of Israel in the place of the Almighty. He was the one that washed the Aaron and his sons to prepare them for their office. God provides the washing for us to enter into the most holy place. No, you can't, but these are symbols. You, in other words, you cannot overstretch these symbols, but in its beauty and in its application, it gives us a clearer and clearer picture as we approach these things. Now, the next reference that I'd like you to note is Exodus 37, and I want to read, this is a uh, repetition of Exodus 25, 17 to 22. This is, I'm going to read Exodus 37, verses 6, 7, 8, and 9. And he made, in Exodus 25, you'll recall, he was instructed to make. Now he made. And he made the mercy seat of pure gold. Two cubits and a half was the length thereof, and a cubit and a half the breadth thereof. And he made two cherubims of pure gold, note, beaten out of one piece made he them on the ends of the mercy seat. There was no separation between the cherubims and the mercy seat. It was all one. One cherub on the end, on this end, and another cherub on the other end, on that side. Out of the mercy seat, made he the two cherubims on the ends thereof. 
and the cherubim spread forth their wings on high and covered with their wings over the mercy seat with their faces one to another, even to the mercy seat, seatward were the faces of the cherubims. Yes. Now, do I have the uh, picture right about the mercy seat? Not? I take the mercy seat to be the lid of the ark. That's right. It was oh, placed right. on top of the ark. That's right. In other words, you have, because the dimensions are the same, it That's almost right. has to be the same kind of since it was above the ark. So, but, you know, while when we first started off talking about the ark, you mentioned the fact that it was uncovered. That's right. Now we have the cover, and these cherubims are facing one another, these wings pointing to one another, and there's so this many. A very significant seats. reason why it was made separate very significant. The Ark of the Covenant was made of shittim wood, overlaid inside and out with gold. The gold the, is the covering of righteousness over the flesh, over the flesh. The mercy seat was not made of that. It was made of pure gold of one piece, the mercy seat and the cherubims. You see why it was not made of the same, of, at the, of the same material throughout as the Ark of the Covenant because that's right that's right that's right you don't you don't ap approach let me put it this way now there is a New Testament passage that Christ abolished the enmity through the veil which veil was taken away in his flesh. When Christ approached his work, Christ was flesh, flesh and blood. Flesh and blood, not properly covered, could not enter into the most holy place. Even Aaron was prepared with special clothing which was for righteousness and for glory before he typically could enter into the most holy place as the mediator for the nation. Christ could not enter into heaven as flesh and blood. The veil of the flesh which was his flesh that veil was taken away when Christ died on the cross. The veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom, and the way into the most holy place was then seen by virtue of the fact that the veil of flesh in Christ was taken away when the mortality gave place to immortality. You can see the great significance of it. Now, I, I'm going to hold, hold your questions. I've got, uh, I've got some very important points to cover yet, so just please hold your questions. Now, I'm, uh, time is already fast slipping away. The rest of the quotations you're going to have to read yourselves. Leviticus, uh, Exodus 39, verse 15. Exodus 40, verse 20. Exodus 39, verse 15. Exodus 40, verse 20. 
the entire chapter of Leviticus 16. Numbers 7, verse 89. The entire chapters of Exodus 29, 30, and 32 and the entire chapter of Leviticus 23. The next passage that I wish you to turn with me is to Psalms 32. Psalm 32. We'll begin at the first verse. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. We have been talking about transgressions to make an end to transgression, whose sin is to be covered in the law. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity and in whose spirit there is no guile. You note transgression, sin, and iniquity, all part of the work of the Messiah. You will note that it is a new word has been introduced, imputeth not. That's another word in our consideration of the work of the Messiah. Imputeth, the original meaning, original Greek word, uh, Hebrew word is chasheb, C-H-A-A, C-H-A-S-H-A-B, chasheb, and it means reckon. The literal meaning is reckon. C-H-A-S-H-A-B, chasseth, and it means reckon. Now you could read, Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord reckoneth not iniquity. Well, I think that, the, in other words, we're dealing with it with a little bit more positive way in that. Now, you recall that I gave you the meaning of the word Iniquity. I'll just repeat it. It's Avon, which means perversity. That's cosmetic firm. <laughs> and there is another important word, imputation. Now this imputation is used in the New Testament, Romans 3, verses 21 to 25. And it means an act of God through grace. Righteousness is imputed by God. You see now why it says that Abraham believed God and righteousness, it was imputed unto him for righteousness, for God's ways. He believed. 
You'll recall Sunday night, Abraham rejoiced to see my day and saw it. He saw that in the Messiah's first appearing, that perversity was to be taken out of the way. It was not to be imputed unto men. I will go back and read Romans 3. Romans 3, verses 21 through 25, which we have already read, so we're not going to read it again. And I want to call your attention to a note that is rendered here concerning righteousness. The righteousness of God, now this is a note of a student of the Bible. He is a non-Christadelphian, but it's worthy of our consideration. The righteousness of God is neither an attribute of God nor the changed character of the believer, but Christ himself. The righteousness of God is not an attribute of God, it, nor the changed character of a believer, but God's right ways, God's righteousness, all centered and focused in one man, Jesus Christ. Everything that pertained to God's right ways centered on Jesus Christ. Now you can read and reread those, three, those four verses Will you turn to Romans 4, verses 6 and 8? Romans 4, verses 6 and 8. And you will note where this is coming from in the Old Testament. Verse 4, verse 6, rather. Even as David also describeth the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works. You read the Old Testament in the Psalms. Remember? We read it just a few moments ago. Psalm 32 it was saying, Blessed are these whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. And that is very important. The imputation of iniquity can be described as the imputation of perversity. Because iniquity, as we are considering it now, means perversity. Where did the original perversity arise? In Eden. It was said, Thou shalt not eat of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, for in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Now, it was reasoned that it was something to be desired, something to make one wise, 
and it was pleasant to the eyes, so we took of it. Was that perversity? They were told, they reasoned, and it was perversity. That is the original meaning of the word of iniquity. And that is why it is significant that Daniel was told the work of the Messiah to finish a transgression of his people, to make an end of sins and sin offerings according to the law of Moses, to make reconciliation for iniquity or perversity. That was why it was told. Now I want you to turn in the same chapter to verses 22 to 25. And we, are, we, it is good for all of us to realize, brethren and sisters, how much we are indebted to the training of the Apostle Paul, for he was trained as, I would like to say, no other man was trained except Moses in the understanding of the law and all that it meant. He had a training that surpassed anyone else except Moses in the law. Of course, Jesus Christ is, is always accepted. But from a natural man, the Apostle Paul had a training that was without equal. And when he was arrested on the way to Damascus and then spent three years and a half in Arabia to be able to reconcile and bring out of the Mosaic order the patterns as they all focused in Christ, how much we are indebted to this man for our understanding of the place of propitiation, of imputation, and all of the other th subjects about which he talks. Verse 22. I'm going to read verse 20 for connection of thought. This is of the fourth chapter of Romans. And he staggered not, he's speaking of Abraham, he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. And therefore, as the result of that, it was imputed to him for righteousness. Now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but for us also to whom it shall be imputed if we believe on him who raised up Jesus Christ our Lord from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses and raised again for our justification. It all is very clear when we have the Apostle Paul to interpret the meaning of the Old Testament and to bring it, make it clear in the New Testament. We note that it was imputed to Abraham for righteousness because he believed without works. You will notice that it is also said, but for us also to whom it shall be imputed if we believe We've got to believe for 
That's right. So the righteousness that was imputed to Abraham because of belief, not of works, will also be imputed to us because of our belief and not of our works. The works were done by Jesus. He did the work. We must believe. You see? That's right. I see they're all there. Now I want to... Yes. In the uh, original? Well, that's good. It's in the in the revised. I see. I have a. Li- I had. A, I have the revised at home, but I have a, had a limited capacity to to haul books. But uh, you can look these up in the other translations, and you will find that the. Uh, now, some of the modern translations, and particularly the modern revised, revised version, be cautious. Because sometimes it is misleading. It doesn't translate, I don't believe, truly. Now, there has been articles written in The Advocate showing the flaws that have been, have been noticed in this latest revised translation which occurred, uh, which was completed a few years ago. Read that one with caution, with your eyes open. Now I want you to turn to Romans 5, verses 12 to 14. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. The meaning of sin here is error. For until the law, sin was in the world. But error or sin is not imputed where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them who had not sinned, after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is a figure of him that was to come. Thus, we can see that the work of the Messiah encompassed much more than we as babes in Christ fully realize. We realize more and more as we grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It requires study. And study and thinking, brethren and sisters, is known as hard work. Try it. Now, our time, we have about three minutes to the bell, and we'll open for any questions that you may have regarding the material that has been covered. I won't promise to answer them. Yes? Well, just what we're discussing reading there in Romans 5, verse 14. Uh, for until the law, that's until the law of Moses, I assume. Yes. Sin was in the world. We had sin before the law of Moses. Mm-hmm. It says that, that sin is not imputed when there is no law. Well, if there's no sin imputed, why was there death then from Adam and Moses? Because of the sacrifice that was made in Eden, 
without the shedding of blood. You remember I gave you Le- Leviticus 17, Leviticus uh, 17, verse 11, that with, and it's also in uh, Hebrews 10 and 4, without the shedding of blood there is no remission. Adam and Eve's sin was merely covered, but it was covered not by fig leaves, no, by the coats of skin, which meant that in type a life was given because of perversity, because of iniquity. It was given then, and they were clothed. And their nakedness, or put it another way, their shame was covered in type until the true covering could be provided. In other words, sin was not reckoned from this period because of that the sacrifice in the garden. Sin was not, Adam's sin is not reckoned to us. No. We suffer the effect of it. Yeah. Not, we are not responsible for Adam's sin. No. We're not responsible. But what he did affected us. Uh, this sister right here, you have a... Yeah, it, uh, it puzzles me because, I mean, the law of Moses, why, if you or I or someone else had sinned, that we could 